You're listening to episode 35 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Phil? Phil, that's that's your cue, buddy. Phil. No? No, <laughs> Phil? All right, Phil! well... Phil! Phil! Kale, you're up then? No? Okay, Marco? <laughs> wow, all right. I guess it's just Pete and I. You tell me I'm, you tell me I'm the last string? I'm the last one who gets to tell a joke? <laughs> yeah, well, you don't even get to tell a joke, actually. What? Um, <laughs> so, if you guys are following along, uh, we, Pete and I, made an executive decision. Uh, we cut our dead weight. We're doing the Pete and Sean show now. Uh, bon voyage to the other guys. Marco still edits the show, but he's not on it anymore. We listened uh, to all your feedback. <laughs> yeah, we heard you loud and clear. And, um, yeah, we found that we were the faces of the show. Uh, we're the guys that you guys like to hear. So, that's it. The other guys are gone. Um, no. In all seriousness, uh, each one of them had different things going on this week that prevented them from being able to do the show. And it so was it honestly falls... a pretty crazy coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it falls on Pete and I to... Uh, keep this baby rolling, and we will do that. Uh, hopefully, you guys you should never roll a baby, Sean. Uh, I don't know. My experience, it works out. I mean, it, it, <laughs> you, it, ro- it, you rolling a lot of babies around, man. Listen, I have uh, three siblings that I grew up with, and so uh, maybe I'm a youth leader. <laughs> uh, so we've got a we've got a packed show. Uh, Pete and I have a lot to talk about. Um, but before we get to that, let's talk about the ways that you guys can find us. Um, iTunes, reach out to us on iTunes. You can leave us a five-star rating or whatever rating you feel like we deserve. Uh, we are currently a five-star rated podcast. We're very proud of that. So let's keep that thing going. Uh, SoundCloud, you guys have been great to us on SoundCloud. Uh, we've been doing big business with that Tom King episode that we did. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, please do go do that. Um, we talk about Tom King, we talk about all the great works that he's done, including Sheriff of Babylon and Vision, so uh, you can go listen to that. Um, social media, we are at the Comics Pals, everywhere your social media is sold, write to us on there. You can also hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com, where we will read your messages to us on the air. And last but certainly not least, we are on YouTube, where you can find all of our interviews from Wizard World Philadelphia, which we are still in the process of posting. Um, if you, yeah, sorry about that. E3 kicked my ass. <laughs> you can also find our E3 content. Uh, we did, what's it, four E3-centric episodes? Yeah, we just posted the fourth one this last week, which was kind of the wrap-up. <clears throat> so uh, this week we'll be on to something, something different, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so check that stuff out. And if you like what we do, please do like those videos. Uh, leave us comments there. Uh, share with your friends, subscribe to the channel. All that stuff is hugely important and helps us out a lot. So please, please, please do that. We appreciate it greatly. Now, I wanted to start the show with a buy or sell because I thought that this one could be fun. Now, um, we've been celebrating the the release of Batman Forever, the comic book world has been celebrating the what what's it now the 25th anniversary i believe of the release so. the release of the movie 
uh, and might actually be the 20th anniversary. Uh, but we're celebrating that with uh, a bunch of different interviews that, that have been circulating with Joel Schumacher and the whole cast of that film. Um, and one of the interviews that I read really piqued my interest because as it turns out, Joel Schumacher wanted to make an Arkham Asylum film, right? Ah. Yeah. So here's a here's a quote directly from uh, Schumacher that came, comes from The Hollywood Reporter who have been doing a lot of interviews with the cast of this film. Um, so he said, I always wanted to do a whole Arkham movie and did a scene at the end of Batman Forever when Jim is in a straitjacket and Nicole Kidman comes to see him. And it was just a nod to back to, this is a quote, it was a nod to back to Arkham Asylum, which I love, and I thought it would be fun to put the other villains up there. Uh, and then there's there's a couple other there's a couple other things that he did have to say. There was also a report that he might want to do a Batman Year One film, and to that he said, "I remember a few journalists calling me and saying there's a rumor that you felt you never got to make your Batman movie, and that you had a secret script, and that you were going to shoot that." Well, that's all fantasy. So, um, that's that's really interesting. And I thought we would do a little buy or sell about what you, Pete, would prefer to see. Oh, So, no. here we go. Would you <laughs> rather buy or sell on the Arkham movie made, the Arkham Asylum movie made by Joel Schumacher or the upcoming Venom movie? Oh, I thought you were going to make me pick with... No, that's even worse. <laughs> uh, what would you rather see? What would you rather exist? Shit, dude. So, all right. So, my mind immediately goes to... Like, my gut reaction, right, is I would buy on the Arkham Asylum movie. <laughs> <laughs> because I really don't want this Venom movie to exist. <laughs> and I get, like, the the initial, like, internal logic I'm going through there is, okay, like, the Batman franchise survived one bad Joel Schulmacher movie. Like, how, how much more could they have killed that franchise than they already did, right? And I feel like, unless it was so bad that it made it so that Chris Nolan couldn't make Batman Begins, I feel like you come to the same point with the Batman franchise anyway. I just have another shitty Batman movie to quote. <laughs> you know? And memeify. Whereas, I don't think that the Venom movie's gonna be enjoyable at all. You know? Whereas, like, Joel, like Joel Schumacher's Batman, um, Batman and Robin is a terrible movie. But, like, it's super enjoyable to watch with a group of friends and, like, riff on it. And, you know, like, we quote it to this day and stuff. So, like, obviously there's, like, there's something there to enjoy. It's not, like, we don't we do not do that about, like, the, the 2002 Daredevil movie, which is what I'm thinking this Venom movie's going to be, you know? <laughs> so, and yeah. honestly, that's being generous. <laughs> uh, so, I'm going to... I'm going to stick with that, I think, because I think that makes sense. I'm like, maybe I'm making too many assumptions and maybe this would fuck up the Batman movie trajectory. But like, I don't know. I think it'd be all right. <laughs> so you're buying on the Joel Schumacher Arkham Asylum. Joel Schumacher's Arkham Asylum. Yes. <laughs> wow. 
All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Okay, so my thinking is the following. So it's been 20 years since Batman and Robin, and it didn't do so well, and it is the reason why we didn't get a Batman film for eight years. That's that's pretty rough, right? Now, if we had gotten an Arkham Asylum movie after Batman and Robin, then that means that the studio would have to be dumb enough to greenlight another Batman film under the same director uh, with the same sort of general intentions. Because at that time, all they cared about was selling toys and that, sure. that type of stuff. And um, that would work. In a movie that you're filling with villains on purpose, that's perfect for selling toys. Absolutely. Um, and I was a sucker for these toys. I bought all these toys back then. Hell yeah. Um, Who didn't? Right. So the problem is that if they had made another movie, so it probably would have come out around the year 2000, the Arkham Asylum film, because this was 97, probably would have taken about, you know, two to three years to come out. I think that's reasonable. So let's say it comes out in 2000. So right around that same time, you get the X-Men movie. And the only reason why we even got the X-Men movie and that it was a serious focused film is because and Blade for that matter is because those last two Batman films turned everyone off to the camp sort of like over the top superheroics that had become the norm because of these films that were you know Batman was the only franchise at that time so my thinking is you get another one of these things you might just go ahead and kill the whole deal right you oh, might man. you might end it all uh, because people might like, not... like, what if it was good? No. <laughs> no. If Phil were not here... possible. If Phil were here, he'd say it could be good. Uh, and I say no. I say no way. So why do, you, why do you think it would fuck everything up, though, then? Because I, I guess, like, in my mind, I'm thinking, like, Batman and Robin is still as bad as it ever was, right? And it's still... People still hate it. It still has that same impact. But the studio is crazy enough to greenlight one more because maybe they made enough on the toys or whatever, you know. And they're like, ah, we could we could get away with farting another one of these out and making a profit. Because I don't think Batman and Robin was like a financial failure. Uh, I don't know how much money this made, but I know that they they made the choice to not make another one. And yeah, if, no if, question. If I think if it had been a financial success then there wouldn't have been an eight-year drought on batman films that's a good point that's a good point yeah i'm yeah i guess i'm i'm just asking why you think it would push like everything totally like make everything fucked up i think there's a good chance that it could have really damaged the industry because at that time we didn't have so there wasn't a marvel with the cachet to sort of say hey you know, even if we push out a movie that's not so great, you can bank on us historically making good films. Right. You didn't. You didn't have that. Um, that's fair. And at, I mean, there wasn't anything good coming out at that time. The only superhero movies you were getting that were on screen were Batman films. So, if, if you had pushed this out, if you had pushed out an Arkham Asylum film, and then you get you you maybe get X Men after that, I feel like it might have caused people to not even want to go to the theater. Um, and I do want to make I do want to um, say that Batman and Robin did make two hundred and thirty eight million dollars, 
and its production budget was 125 million. So that's oh, so yeah, that's, it was a success. Yeah, that's that's all right. Um, they made 100 million, which you know that's fine. Um, yeah, that's 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 a it's a solid profit. It's definitely not great, right? Uh, so and then shifting gears to talk about Venom, uh, I feel like this movie is destined and doomed to be not good. And I don't think that it's going to be a financial success, but I also don't think that it has the capacity to damage anything, because at the end of the day, um, this movie is going to do what it's going to do. Spider-Man's going to stay with Marvel, and if Marvel chooses to use the Venom character, they, they're the ones with creative control over Spider-Man right now that character they have control over so if they choose to use venom they maybe do their own thing or they 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 bring that the the sony version of venom into the fold uh but they they make it they prefy it they make it you know palatable for us um Ugh. and so that's what i'm afraid of though man it's like what you're talking about is like I, that sounds so scary to me cuz it's like the idea of like so basically the MCU is going to grow like a fucking mutated rotten arm. Well, we're going to talk about this a little later, but we don't even know how much of what Sony is doing on their end with Silver and Black and Venom is actually going to be going to be canon in the MCU. Uh, yeah, so, well, let's yeah. Yeah. So so just my thinking is Marvel will fix whatever Sony screws up with Venom. And that movie won't impact anything. And quite frankly, that movie, if it's bad, we might not even get Silver and Black. So God, I hope so. It, it, uh, it could actually end up being good, so bad that it's good for us. We'll see. So for that reason, I'm buying on the Venom movie, and I'm selling on right. an Arkham Asylum movie that I don't ever want to see come from Joel Schumacher. <laughs> not at all. Not after Bat Nipples. So uh, that's that's our that's our buy or sell for the week. If you guys enjoy the game, you can definitely hit us up with your own buy or sell, and we will play the game for you guys on the air. Uh, yeah. So we got a couple other things to do. I want to do some pals pulls real quick. Um, hashtag pals pulls. You guys can let us know what you guys are reading for the week. Uh, share that with us all over the social medias. Uh, so for this week. Uh, we picked out Batman number 25. Batman 24 left us with the question of, will Catwoman say yes to Batman's proposal? Batman 25 is probably going to give us the answer. You have to read it, though, to find out. So if you care whether or not Batman is currently engaged, you should pick that up. Uh, Invincible 137 released this week. Uh, I can't talk about Invincible because I don't read it, but Pete can. I can. <clears throat> um, but I have to say, I am pretty behind on Invincible because um, basically ever since they announced that that the book is ending, every time I sit down to read it, I get super sad. So like I I am – I want to say – I want to say I'm actually probably six issues behind. I don't think I've read any of the issues that they've put out this year yet because like I own them all. Um, I'm, I'm ready, but like, you're not, I'm not ready. ready. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not ready to say goodbye. You know? Yeah. Um, if you, uh, if you're listeners of the video game pals, it's like, I think I'm feeling very much 
how Andy was complaining about how he does, like, I've spent a hundred hours in Persona, but I'm not ready to say goodbye to these characters yet. And it's like, man, I've been following this book for five years. Like, I am not ready to say goodbye to Mark and Eve, you know? Yeah. So I've been there. Yeah, it's it sucks. Like, and it, it, it I it, I hate it because I want to be reading it right now and like having this last year with it. But like, man, I am not emotionally prepared for this. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I totally get that. Um, hopefully, you get around to it sooner uh, rather than later, just because I know this book is really good. And oh yeah, uh, dude. I mean, it's my favorite comic. You know, it's like I don't need to be reading it right now to tell you that you should be reading it. You know, Invincible's been my favorite book since I discovered it. It's been running for thirteen years, and I I don't think there's a bad issue of it. So there you go. Give it. Give it a shot if you haven't. I sing its praises on the show as much as possible. So, cool. We'll talk about it in our image episode. I'll have caught up by then. We got that image anniversary episode coming up next month. Oh no, I have to read this. Um, yeah, baby. <laughs> I can't wait for everyone in the on the show to have had to have read the first twelve issues, and then hopefully you'll get you'll get hooked. Yeah, I would like to buy the compendium, but uh, I can't find it. Um, so, Mighty Thor number twenty. Uh, Jane Foster as Thor has been a rousing success for Marvel, and can't believe it's been going for three years, man. It's yeah, I mean it's good. It's a good book. Uh, Jason Aaron's been killing it on Thor for a, quite a while now, and uh, according to what Marvel's doing with uh, Marvel Legacy, it's possible that we may be losing the mighty Thor, uh, Jane Foster. So. Um, stay tuned for that. We're going to talk about more of that a little bit later, but the book is good, so you should be reading it. And last but not least, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, number one. That comes out this week? Uh, yeah, it's out now. I read it. Uh. Oh my god, how was it? I didn't like it at all. No! Uh, of course. Yeah. Why can't I have nice things? (laughs) Uh, so, it felt like Chip was trying too hard, um... It was, it was, first of all, first of all, I'm a continuity guy, right? So, one of the core problems that I had is that Spider-Man is not wearing his current suit. And that doesn't make any sense. He's wearing his classic suit, which is cool for people who don't read, you know, current Spider-Man comics and just kind of want to see him in the suit that they're familiar with. But the problem is that it doesn't make sense. He wouldn't change out of his you know, his super techie suit to put on his old school suit just for no reason. That doesn't, that doesn't, there's no logic there. Is it taking place in like main continuity and everything? Yeah. That's so dumb. Yeah. Um, Uh. he's still, he's still a rich guy and everything. He's just not wearing his, his real typical suit for some reason. Um, and, and I hate Marvel. You hate Marvel. (laughs) This was his choice. They they gave Chip the book and said do what you want. That's what he chose to do. Yeah, but like, it shouldn't be in continuity. Like Spider Man shouldn't be rich. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I fucking like Peter Parker should be blue collar, like average person. And like uh, I wanted this book to be good. Hey, it, it ain't bad because of Marvel. This the the the. Uh... I know, but I like Chip. I don't want to blame him. <laughs> yeah, he, he deserves it. He pushed. He he tries to tell a lot of jokes, and and I would say, not, for me personally as a reader, ninety five percent of them didn't land. Oh, I I chuckled man. once. That sucks. Um, 
and it just I don't know it just felt it just felt amateur hourish like it just wasn't I don't know I don't want to I don't really want to degrade the book too much but I'll, it just what I didn't I didn't like it at all. Hopefully, it picks up for the next issue. I'll try the next one, but after that, I'm done. Uh, so that's that's it for the pals pulls this week. Uh, again. Share with us your pulls uh, by using hashtag PalsPulls all over social media. We'd love to see what you guys are reading. Um, so, let's do some news. And this is a big, big, massive Spider-Man news week. Totally uh, Spider-Man-centric. However... It's all bad. It's all bad, kids! It's not... Wait, it's not all bad. There is. There's a couple of things that I think look pretty decent so i'm gonna start with the good right now this is uh this is based on an article from movie pilot written by tom bacon a friend of mine former co-worker yeah uh so do check him his work out over there um but what's being reported is that based around uh sony officially releasing the cast list for spider-man homecoming we now know a few things about the cast that we didn't know before, like who Donald Glover is playing in the film. Uh, we know that he is playing Aaron Davis, aka the Prowler, which is really interesting. It's super interesting because I'm assuming that they're going to do what it seems like they've done overall for this movie, which is take the things that they like about uh, Miles Morales' Ultimate Spider-Man and kind of 616-eyes them. You know, like, we have the inclusion of uh, his his best friend, who is Miles' best friend, uh, Genki, I think. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Um, so, like, that's cool. He's a great character, um, and they're borrowing him. This is this Prowler is the ultimate Prowler, who is Miles Morales' um, uncle, and is actually the way that he gets spider powers, um, which is something we don't need to go into, but... I'm assuming that he's not going to be that character, though. Like, I'm assuming that they're going to borrow the original Prowler's storyline and and use it. Because the original... I mean, the original Prowler storyline is pretty simple. It's like he's a young African-American. I think he's college-aged kid or yeah. maybe high school. And um, something happens. I don't remember... Something shitty happens, and then he turns to crime because he needs money. Yeah. Um and it's like something like his his family gets fucked over or something, and then like Spider Man catches him and realizes that he's a kid that's like around his age or whatever, and he's like, dude, hey, like don't ruin your life and like turn to crime or whatever, and he's like, okay, Spider Man, that's probably a good idea, and then they became buddies, and like he was just kind of you know like a like not antihero, just like a minor superhero who would show up every once in a while in Spider Man books, and I'm assuming they're probably gonna play it in a similar way, possibly. Um... There are some Ultimate Comics connections to this film, though, other than the Prowler. So, in in the Ultimate Universe, uh, the Prowler is a customer of the Tinkerers and, and uses uh, some of his technology and steals for right. him. Yeah. Um, and then ends up killing him uh, to prevent him from exposing Miles' identity. Uh, and we know that the Tinkerer is actually in Spider-Man Homecoming. Right. So... It's possible that they could be going down that road. I feel like they're going to introduce Miles within a couple of films. So they're putting they, a lot of characters in this movie. Too. Yeah, yeah, and, it's and, weird. And we're about to talk about a couple more because we also know that Michael Mando 
who is in uh, Better Call Saul, is playing Mac Gargan, who is also known as the Scorpion. Now, pretty cool. Yeah, that is that is awesome. I'll, I've always been a Scorpion fan. Me too. I really do like the Scorpion. I love his sort of his origin story. Not sure that they're actually going to go with uh, his initial origin, um, but we do know that the character Matt Gargan is in this film. So will he turn into the Scorpion? I highly doubt it. Uh, that'd be probably just set up. Yeah, that'd be a lot for one film, but um, you know, we know he's there. That's cool, um, though. I mean, like, I'm definitely excited for the idea of, of the Scorpion making an appearance just because I always thought he was a cool villain and, like, just his visual design is really fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we also know that Salinas Leva is playing Miss Warren. And so we know that Miles Warren is the Jackal. And so Miss Warren, maybe his wife or, you know, maybe his uh, sister... Not or maybe wife. a female jackal. Maybe a female jackal. Uh, that would be really, really cool. Um, so she's playing the principal in the in in Peter's school in this film. Huh. Uh, so we'll see. Um, yeah, a lot of deep cuts here. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, um, I'm really excited for this movie, man. Me too. There's so, so much like shit popping up around it that's mm-hmm. making me upset, but like I really do think this is going to be a fun movie. I think so, too. Uh, I don't know how much I'm actually going to enjoy it based on some of the things that I've heard and in, in, in the trailers. Uh, it looks like it's it's going to be good, but I, I don't know if it's for me. But it remains to be seen, and I'm personally optimistic. So wait, what, what, uh, what makes you think it's not going to be for you? Well, first of all, he doesn't throw a punch in this movie, which is very strange. Uh, I... I read that the director's from the director's words that he he doesn't hit anyone. He doesn't use That's, his hands huh. uh, to to punch people, which is very very strange. Um, I don't understand that. I, I I I don't know. I just don't get that. I don't see. That's like Superman not throwing a punch in the. Uh, gosh, what was that movie called? The the two thousand three Superman movie. I think it was 2003, 2006, uh, or, like that. Yeah, six maybe, I think. Uh, yeah. Returns. Superman Returns. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't hit anyone in that movie. And I just think that's silly uh, and pointless. Spider-Man punches people. Yeah, I I wonder I wonder if there's, like, more to that. Like, if that's, like, it, like oh, he doesn't hit anybody? Or is it that, like, he doesn't punch anyone because he's, like, like flinging stuff with webs or like you know because like he's got to fight yeah uh, we know he's yeah at some point you we, know we like, know he fights i guess i don't know it's it's weird no like i'm with you i'm just trying to like interpret that is like maybe there's a non-literal way that he means that it's just him not physically punching people seems deliberate yeah, and i yeah. don't understand why you would do that so uh you know, Sean, if they, if they fuck up this movie, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> yeah, you know, ultimately I err on the side of trusting Marvel, but I do have trepidation. Uh, but I feel like this movie is probably going to be good. I feel like most people who like Spider-Man will enjoy this film. I just don't know if I will, but I'm remaining hopeful and optimistic. Uh, so, speaking of, of Homecoming, we know that Iron Man will be in the film, which is pretty cool. Uh, but he won't be in the sequel. Now, according to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Robert Downey Jr. 
is not up for whatever this Spider-Man sequel is. However, uh, they do want to have him team up with another uh, MCU character in the sequel, which will be coming out on July 5th in 2019. Uh, I don't know how to feel about that. What do you think? Like, I'm a little disappointed by it because I don't, I don't want that to be like a trope of the Spider-Man movies, you know, it's like I, Spider-Man doesn't need to team up with anyone, you know, like there's not a team up in every other suit, you know, like I don't, it makes sense for Iron Man in this scenario because like him and Tony have a previous relationship from Avengers, like he's clearly kind of this mentor figure to him, like I think that's fine for this movie, um, I don't want that for every Spider-Man movie and like I especially like why can't the sequel just be Spider-Man being Spider-Man you know yeah Yeah. Um, and like it sucks because I like I like that other I like when other Avengers show up in other movies like I think that is cool you know like I am excited uh, or more excited for Thor Ragnarok because we have the rumors that Doctor Strange will be involved in somehow we know that the Hulk is going to be in it like that makes it more exciting. Uh, you know, Captain America Civil War was exciting because it was basically an Avengers movie. But, it, like, I don't want every Spider-Man movie to be anchored by some other character who's, like, overshadowing him because they're a big deal and an Avenger and he's a teenager and small-time, you know, like, street-level hero. Like, that's what makes Spider-Man special is that he's that. So, you know, it... I think it really is going to depend on how they're utilized. Yeah, it feels like they're going for a, hey, we're mentoring him kind of thing. Uh, When they announced that Tony would would be in this film, I thought, oh, well, then what if they put Captain America in the next one to sort of provide a counterbalance? Yeah. Uh, And I wouldn't necessarily be angry or opposed to that totally. But at the same time, I really want Spider-Man to make his mark in these films uh, as on his own, you know, yeah. and grow into being the hero that we know him to be. I get that he's a kid and I like that he's a kid. Um, I don't think that that means he needs to have a mentor in every movie. Yeah. I honestly think that kind of defeats the purpose of teenage superheroes. Like that was what was cool about Spider-Man when he came out. And as a comic reader growing up was that like every other superhero is an adult man who has his shit together you know, in some way or another, right? He's got a job and whatever, like, you know, he's a millionaire. Some Something that makes it impossible to relate to as a child, you know? Whereas, like, I related to Spider-Man because it's like, well, he's a kid like me and he's poor and he's, you know, like, got real blue-collar problems, not because he's getting, you know, mentored how to be a superhero and shit, you know? Like, I, that was fine for the X-Men, but that's not what Spider-Man's about. And it was like a Oh, oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say I agree. Um, It's like a thing they played with in the Ultimate Universe before they killed him off, but it's like not a thing I think should be a trope. What I'm hoping they'll do is, like, now that they've established Doctor Strange and that he's, like, got a presence in New York, like, him and Spider-Man always had, uh, like, a lot of... They have a lot of interactions, you know, especially in the 80s. So, like, I feel like that would be cool. Like, if maybe... Spider-Man goes up against, like, Mysterio or something, and he thinks that he's using real magic, 
you know, and he goes and consults Doctor Strange, and maybe Doctor Strange, like, helps him out in, like, just kind of a, like, you know, one scene kind of thing, like, he's here, I'm gonna offer you some advice, like, whatever, you know, see you later. Like, that would be fine, you know? I'd be cool with an interaction like that. I just don't want it to be, you know, this teacher character every other fucking movie. Yeah, and, you know, I've heard that Tony's uh, screen time is, is around 15 minutes, which that sounds perfect. Does yeah, that does sound perfect. And I think you could get away with the inclusion of another hero um, in a sequel if their screen time is around that or less. But if if they're going to have a significant role in the plot, then I do think that devalues Peter. Yeah, I don't I don't want like a Black Widow type figure in this movie because they're not going to feel like a sidekick to him. You know, it's going to feel like somebody who is his teacher or whatever that he's like trying to impress or that is going to be shocked by how good he's doing and stuff, you know? And I don't, I don't think that's the right dynamic for these movies. Right. Uh, so now I want to talk about some of the bad of what's going on with Spider-Man. So bring let's strap in. (laughs) I have lots of feelings. (laughs) So we, you know, we know we're getting a venom film. We talked about that. But we don't know, or we haven't known, who the villain would be. Is Venom just going to be the villain of his own story? Will he face off with Spider-Man in this film? Uh, well, it sounds like he's going to face off with Carnage. Boo. According to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, it looks like Eddie Brock won't be the only person who gets a symbiote in this film. It looks like we are going to see... Uh, Carnage, probably Cletus Cassidy, uh, getting his symbiote and going toe to toe with Venom. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know about that one. Um, this is horrible. I'm a, this is horrible. I'm a fan of Carnage. I like Carnage, but I really would love to see Carnage sort of evolve on his own. I really like. Uh, the Maximum Carnage storyline. and Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man and Venom having to team up to deal with the chaos that Carnage creates. I like that. We won't get that here. Oh, oh Sean. Like, it, like, I know. Like, if Phil was here, he'd play devil's advocate. Could be good, whatever. No. Like, <laughs> no. Dude, like, that is the Carnage story. That is the one Carnage story that's actually worth telling is Maximum Carnage. Like, I like Carnage just fine, but, like, if we're being real, like, he's a 90s edgelord character. He is a product of his time. He's not this super amazing fucking villain. He's super one-note and one-dimensional, and that's the one story you tell with him, is Maximum Carnage. And they're gonna blow their load on it. And, like, this is why I fucking hate the idea of these movies, is because either they're gonna be shitty... And they're going to be in the MCU and terrible and so and Marvel's going to have to clean up or they're going to fucking ruin these characters for audiences. And then they're going to run into the same problem that we're having with Homecoming with people being like, do we need another Spider-Man movie? Another Spider-Man reboot? Uh, I'm so sick of Spider-Man. And it's just like Spider-Man deserves better than that. Like, I know I'm biased, but like he's literally the third most popular superhero ever behind Batman and Superman. And, like, he deserves better than this. His rogues gallery deserves better than this. And 
this is terrible. This is not going to be cool. How can you introduce Venom and Carnage in the same movie? You can't. You can't. Well, I think I think there there is a potential through line whereby you can kind of play their origins uh, side by side, similar to what uh, the original Spider-Man did with Peter Parker and Norman Osborn transitioning into their alter egos. Uh, so there is that, but that would require me to trust that the studio will do the proper job with that. Uh, so my my thinking is, all right, I want to see a maximum carnage type storyline. That's what I would like to see you. Um, that's what I would like to see them do with carnage. So if we're not going to get that in the in the initial movie, that doesn't necessarily mean that carnage can't come back. We know how that works. So maybe, all right, fine. Yeah, Venom, that's true. Venom defeats Carnage the first time around, and then maybe they come back and and we do that later. Uh, I I could see that being a thing, uh, but I, I on its face I don't like it. But I'm going to make you do something that you probably don't want to do. I want you for the for this and the next couple of uh, next couple of uh, pieces of news. I want you to say. One good thing <laughs> about this. What are you, what are you my dad? <laughs> I want you to say one good thing about having to go to school. <laughs> uh, okay, one good thing about each one of these pieces of news. Yeah, so one good thing. First, we're starting with this Carnage thing. One good thing about Carnage appearing in Venom. <laughs> That they'll stop making these movies. Nope, that's a cop out. Damn it! Uh, I dude, I honestly, I don't know that I have anything positive to say because the thing I was about to say before my complaint is like, so if you want to do these solo Venom movies without Spider Man, I think you could do a satisfying Carnage story, but I think it would have to, like it should not be the first one because I feel like you could have a movie where like you set up Venom as like a jerk and then you have him come up against Carnage and that like is a turning point for him. And I guess maybe that's what they're going to do in this first movie. That's how they're going to sell Venom to us as a hero. So I guess that's the one positive thing I can say is that this is an easy path to making Venom a good guy. But I don't know if I think that's a good thing. So is that a cop-out too? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Carnage will probably look cool. All right. I, I, I will accept it. I will allow it. Carnage will probably look cool. I agree with that. I think they'll both probably look really cool. Yeah. All right. I hope I hope that their final battle is at least visually entertaining, even if I'm abhorred by everything around it story-wise. <laughs> I'll be honest. The last thing that I really want to see is two CGI symbiotes uh, <laughs> yeah, it's duking like, uh, it out. It's probably yeah. going to be bad. <laughs> they'll look cool, but the battles, I don't know. Uh, so Venom isn't the only villain that Sony is planning to make a film about because <sighs> according to the Hollywood Reporter who are just getting all the scoops this week, uh, it looks like, <laughs> it, it looks like Sony would like to make a Mysterio film and a Craven film. They would like to destroy the rest of Spider-Man's good rogues gallery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's no there's no uh, concrete details or anything like that. But again, uh, THR did 
an interview with uh, the Sony chairman, Tim, Tom Rothman, and he talked a lot about their plans um, for the future. And the article drops hints and and, and the idea that they might want to make a, a Mysterio and a Craven film, or, or sorry, two separate films. Um, I, I don't understand that at all. Um, I, like, why are they doing any of this? Like, fuck off, Sony. <laughs> so, I'm so, I'm like so over this. It's so, this is so bad, Sean. <laughs> so they tried to hotshot the Sinister Six through the last uh, sort of Spider-Man films with the Amazing Spider-Man one and two, and they tried to set up a Sinister Six movie that never. And they've came been out. saying that since the original trilogy right they want they want to make a sinister six movie originally with the original sam raimi deal the sixth movie was going to be a sinister six movie bringing back all the villains that they'd already used i thought that that was a genius idea and as a kid at the time yeah as a kid i was desperately looking forward to that movie because for me it was earned if you built up something for six movies when you get there, that's cool. Like what we're that's getting the now. Marvel strategy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but now and since then, they've kind of just been like, hey, we're not going to wait. We're just going to do it and people will like it. Let's keep farting so, out movies. Right. So this time, maybe they're taking the opposite approach, which is just to give all the villains solo films and then maybe make the Sinister Six film after that. That's pure speculation. Um, yeah. And like. That's just like I don't I don't think that's a good idea. I am not sold on the idea of these villain movies. And I don't know, maybe it could work. I honestly think so the one positive thing I'll say about these, right? I actually think that of Spider-Man's Rogues Gallery, Craven and Mysterio are probably two of the only characters that I think you could actually do a solo movie about because they have lives and careers that predate Spider-Man, that predate their interactions with Spider-Man. You know, Craven is the world's greatest hunter and then decides to go hunt Spider-Man. That's fine. You could do a movie about Craven. I, I don't know, hunt dinosaurs or some shit. I don't know. What dinosaurs. You're gonna, I don't know how else you make that an interesting movie, but fine. If you want to do that, Craven has a story before that predates Spider-Man. Fine. You want to do an origin about him getting his fucking crazy hunter powers or whatever? Sure. Cool. That could work. Mysterio, same deal. You know, his whole tragic backstory and how he becomes Mysterio. You can do that and have it predates an interaction with Spider-Man. But, like, how does... I don't know. I feel like villain stories are are so inherently different from hero stories. They're always tragedies and, like, there isn't a big fight at the end and all that stuff. And, like, I don't think that they're going to treat them with the respect that they need to actually be good. Uh, I agree. I'm very, I'm very trepidatious about these films because, all right, Venom, Black Cat, Silver Sable, they have been heroes at, at different points, and they're all heroes right now. Well, Black Cat's a little weird right now, but whatever. Historically speaking, these characters yeah. have been heroic. Uh, so there is that. Craven and Mysterio are not good people. No. And there's no... Even though 
Mysterio does have sort of like a tragic origin on some level. There isn't a way in my eyes to make these characters sympathetic enough that they can still be who they are, but also carry a film. I don't believe in that. I definitely feel that way about Craven. I I could see a way where you you paint Mysterio like you show Mysterio as a as a man who's normal and then the tragedy strikes and it makes him evil. That is a thing I think you could do fine. I think that that could play. You know? Like we feel some sympathy for Norman Osborn in the original movie even though he's turned into a monster, you know, cuz like if you show a human side to him that could work if it's done well, but I don't think it would be done well. Uh, but with Craven, I totally agree with you. Craven is a bloodthirsty killer who decides to hunt a man for sport. Right. So, on the subject of the the Mysterio film, or even the Craven film, quite frankly, all right, cool. But what's the end game? Right. You know, we know these films always have to have that big battle. We know all that. So, who's Mysterio going to battle? His producer? Like, you know, like right. <laughs> There isn't. There's no. There's no heat there. So I just yeah. don't get it. You'd have, you'd have to. You'd have to either. You'd have to accept that these are not going to be superhero movies. That they are going to be small human stories that end with a supervillain being made, or you totally destroy what they are. Right. Which you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe that could work. If they're not looking to make traditional superhero films and they're looking to make different kinds of movies that just happen to star characters from the comics that that could be cool that, yeah that could be totally fine and it remains to be seen if they want to do that what also remains to be seen is whether or not venom and silver and black are going to take place in the same universe as homecoming which would place them in the mcu uh so there's been some confusion because kevin feige uh just just last week uh did an interview report on it yeah and said, for now, there is no plan for Venom in the MCU. It is a Sony project. However, uh, the producer and the former head of Sony, Amy Pascal, has made things a little more complicated because she did an interview with Film Starts and she said the following regarding these films. Well... Those movies will all take place in the world that we're now creating for Peter Parker. There'll be adjuncts to it. They may be different locations, but it will still all be in the same world and they will be connected to each other as well. Uh, and then when she was asked if Tom Holland's Spider-Man could appear in Sony's Marvel films, she replied, there's always a chance. So who's right? Does Kevin Is Kevin Feige... Does he have the final word on this? Or where's the... So who's the head honcho here in terms of can Spider-Man actually appear in these films? Are these films canon to the MCU? We don't know, but it appears they don't either. Yeah, dude. I mean, like, this is this is why I am so down on these movies. You know, it's like, th this is a mess. Like, this is not okay. And I, like, I don't, I, I think unless they are canonically a part of the MCU and Marvel's involved in them, they're, they're going to be bad. And that's bad for the Spider-Man franchise and the brand. And if they are a part of the MCU and they're bad, this could really fuck up the MCU's momentum. If we have five or six shitty fucking Sony movies all of a sudden are a part of this equation. We've always talked about how even the worst Marvel movies are fine. 
And that's been the thing. They've been a bankable name that we can trust. And if all of a sudden that extends to these shitty fucking Spider-Man spinoffs, that could be that could be it. Like that could be the blood in the water. That could be the thing that really fucks them. Well, here's the here's the thing that's concerning to me because if they're separate entities, then I don't really care. Uh, because I don't have to see them. They don't affect the MCU. And I'm, I'm cool with that. But what concerns me is the scenario where, as Kevin Feige said, the Venom film is a Sony project, right? All those films they're making, Craven, Mysterio, Silver and Black, they're Sony projects. However, if they can impact Spider-Man... And that impact obviously would resonate in the MCU because the Spider-Man films are Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Then that means that things are happening affecting Spider-Man in the MCU that Marvel and Kevin Feige have no control over. Yeah. That's really weird. And it's bad. Yeah. His, his singular vision has been what's made this work. Right. In my opinion. The, the committee that they have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and him is a linchpin in it, though. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. he's been involved in every single thing they've done since Iron Man, you know, or Hulk. So, you know, th- like, this is this is potentially really bad, in my opinion. I, I think this could be really damaging. Yeah, but you have to say something positive about it, so... What I think could be positive about it is if... Kevin Feige reacts to this in a way that's proactive. I think if he hears uh, Amy Pascal is her name, right? Yeah. If he if he's because he was like at this interview when she said this because it's like a meme now of him sitting next to her and hearing her face and then immediately just being like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so my thought is if if him and his people are proactive about this and they make an effort to be involved in these movies and have some control over them uh, and shape them despite the fact that they don't have a horse in that race financially, um, maybe these could be okay and not damaging. That's the nicest thing you're going to get out of me. <laughs> this is like, this is not cool. Like, you know, I, this is very, as a Spider-Man fan, I'm super upset about this. As a fan of the MCU as a whole, I'm like actually legitimately concerned. I I do want to point out, if you if you haven't seen the interview, in which Amy's uh, saying these things, it's it's actually hilarious because if you watch Kevin Feige, it honestly looks like he's hearing these things for the first time. I bet he is. <laughs> he has no idea what she's talking about, and I think people are misreading uh, why he has this face. I think a lot of people think it's like a like the sad Ben Affleck deal where just no one's talking to Ben. I think in this scenario, Kevin Feige's trying to figure out what the hell she's talking about. I, I feel like it's literally like he's there and like you just see like the life drain out of his face. It's like I can feel his stomach drop to his feet, you know, or he's just like, oh, my God, what is she saying right now? Like literally you said not not a week earlier. He said the exact opposite. Yep. And then here he is sitting next to her and she's contradicting him. So it's just like, oh, cool. There's no communication going on. This is terrifying. <laughs> Kevin Feige's face is exactly how I feel. <laughs> this is, dude, this is such a beautiful disaster. Like, I 
I I can't wait to see how these things develop because even if it's really awful, the watching how this has all happened has been fun, quite frankly. Yeah, man, I'm just afraid it could be the end of I, I'm afraid this could actually be the bubble pop moment, honestly, for superhero movies. I think I honestly think if we have four or five terrible movies getting shoved into the MCU, I don't know, man. Uh, like we've talked a lot about the superhero fatigue and the bloat and everything, and it's been coming for years and years and years, and like it has to happen eventually. And I I hope this isn't it. I I, I you know I fundamentally disagree with that. I don't think that there's any reason why uh, there has to be a bubble pop moment and. I think that the comic book film industry has survived uh, many bad films. It survived. I mean, just this year we got some crap, and last year we got crap. So I think, I, I think that these movies have endured and will continue to endure for a very long time. I mean, I don't um, necessarily think superhero movies are going anywhere overall, but I like this age of we get three superhero movies a year, and it's like they're a major like fad you know or like and i i don't think they're a fad because they've been around for how long now but like i don't know i i i find it hard to believe that in like 30 or 40 years you know when we're like in our 50s and 60s or whatever that we're still going to be getting like four superhero movies a year like for what i I, for good or bad you know i I just have a hard time thinking that this is going to stay the same forever and i think if if this fucks up like if this shakes the average moviegoer's faith in Marvel, which it could do. Uh, I don't know, man. I hope I hope I'm wrong. I think Marvel would do well to distance themselves from those films, uh, because I would hate to see that scenario take place. Yeah, man. Me too. Uh, so this next piece of news actually burns me far more than what we just talked about. Because it would appear that Fox has no intention of giving up on the Fantastic Four. Uh, According to Bleeding Cool, uh, Fox wants to make another reboot. And that there's a new Fantastic Four film in development. And that instead of focusing on the original members of the team, so Reed Richards, Sue Storm, uh, Ben Richards, or um, Ben Richards, Ben Ben Grimm, and Johnny Storm, the film would focus on the children of Reed and Sue. Uh, So Human Torch and Thing would would be sort of their guides, and uh, Valeria and Franklin Richards would be sort of the main characters in the movie. Pete's head is exploding as I say this. Like, why? <laughs> uh, so you get like a an Incredibles sort of vibe um, from this. And this is actually very sad because I would love to see Franklin and Valeria in these films. I really love those characters. And I think that the Fantastic Four, one of the core elements of them is that they're a family. And nothing screams family more than children. So that's cool. But to not include Reed and Sue as core tenants of that element uh, doesn't make any sense. And just just doing it because you want to call it the Fantastic Four, but include the kids as part of the four, that's brain dead, right? Like, oh, it's it's got to be the two kids 
but we can't have uh, we can't have the original Fantastic Four alongside them because that's six people. So we have to cut two people. <laughs> what the hell is that? What like what is that? What, uh, like, you know? And it's also just this is like this is this comes back to the conversation we were just having of like why those why all these Spider-Man announcements are bad. They're not earned. This is not earned. You have not earned a movie where you introduce the the kids. You haven't gotten you haven't done the regular Fantastic Four right yet. Like so fuck you. I don't care. Like I'm not and, interested in this. And what a tonal shift, right? Like the last Fantastic Four movie was this dark, grim and gritty deal. And then just a few years later, we're going to get a kids movie? It's because they don't fucking care. They don't care. They're just fucking throwing shit at the wall and hoping that they fart out something that sticks. And it's yeah. like, it's it's depressing. Like, it's straight up. Like, ugh. And I, in an interview with Simon Kinberg, who also happens to be, if you guys are following along, the person who is directing uh, the X-Men Dark Phoenix film, uh, he said... Uh, <laughs> he said the following regarding a, a Fantastic Four film. Yes, we would love to make another Fantastic Four movie. We feel like there's a great Fantastic Four movie to be made, and I think it would hew closer to the tone of the original, the source material, the comics, but we want to make that movie. That's Pete making a large f- farting noise, hopefully not with his butt. There's uh, <laughs> a fart on the microphone. <laughs> Oh, uh, God, just... Uh, let's just it's, move on. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. Uh, yes, we can move on. And we're moving on to something that I also don't like. <laughs> uh, Sean, is, I just want to talk about things we like. <laughs> this is just not the week for me. Oh, but you know what? To be fair, I will impose the same rule upon you as I impose upon myself. So regarding the Fantastic Four film... Oh, you have to say something nice now? Yeah, I will say something nice. I, I, I want to be nice. I don't want this to be a negative show. Pete, you've received you've received criticism for being a negative Nancy on this podcast. Uh, and I don't want to receive that same criticism. So here we go. Uh, I think that of all the properties that uh, exist in, the, in Marvel, uh, the Fantastic Four probably has the best chance to be... That, that kid-friendly hit that none of these superhero films really have been. And I think including Valera and Franklin would definitely do that. So if they're looking to, to, to sort of make this film something that would appeal to kids, I think this is the best way to go about it. And in that vein, this could be a super huge financial success that would cause Fox to care more about the Fantastic Four, and maybe start making better choices. So, there you go. Also, you know, I don't like to be negative on this show. It's not my fault that the news makes me sad. (laughs) (laughs) I used to like Marvel Comics, too. I used to be just like you. Well, uh, we're about to... Go ahead. It's like, and then they killed the only Spider-Man I liked, and they made the other one rich guy. (laughs) Well... Uh, we're going to talk about Marvel Comics right now because Marvel dropped a huge bombshell this week about uh, Marvel Legacy, the upcoming relaunch, and how it's going to be uniting the past and present. Now, when they said that, I didn't take it literally. I thought, all right, well, they'll probably uh, you know, revert to telling stories that are fun 
and bring back characters who are dead or missing. Well, no, because that released... would have been the right way to do this, and that's not Marvel's mo. Right. So their big release this week has been to show us some covers from the upcoming uh, relaunch, and these covers basically are are uh, I, I don't even know how to describe this. They're they're covers that sort of shift. They're animated images that shift between the original image and the new Marvel Legacy version. So as an example of what I am talking about, uh, there's a classic cover of Captain America busting out of a newspaper. And so that's the original image. And then the updated version is an image of Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, busting out of a a newspaper, and it's called The Legacy of of Miss Marvel. And it was uh, drawn by Jake Wyatt. So... That's kind of the thing that they did here, and they did this with a lot of things. They did it with an image of uh, Captain America behind bars, and so it shifts into Peter Parker, or I should say Spider-Man, uh, behind bars. And it's and it's a cover from Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man by Chip Zdarsky. So there's that, right? And they did this with a lot of different titles. There's, there's tons of them, right? Uh, this, is, this is dumb. Uh, like... To be honest, it's tacky. Uh, it's tacky, yeah. Um, some of these are some of these are cool, uh, but some of them are downright corny. Um, some of them do give us hints at the future. One of them does include a Scarlet Witch hanging uh, some of her allies upside down in an Uncanny Avengers cover. Uh, one of them does reveal that Ghost Rider is back, that Johnny Blaze is back as Ghost Rider in, in his initial form, uh, and it's a new a new comic book called Spirits of Vengeance, which actually the cover pulls from the giant size X-Men, that classic cover. So that so that's cool. Um, but but overall, this just doesn't do anything for me. Anything at all. It's just it's just super tone deaf, dude. You know, like it feels pandering. You know, and I think that's been people's problem with Marvel for a long time is that like <clears throat> it just feels like they're trying to do what they think we want them to do as opposed to telling us what we want. You know, and like you've made this point before is like or you've made this point on behalf of Alan Moore, I think, which is he has that quote, which is that if if the reader knew what they wanted, they wouldn't be the reader. Yeah. And I think that's true on some level. Like, looking at this, it's just like, so you gave us all these new characters because you thought we wanted diversity. And we did. And we liked some of them. And then as soon as things went bad, you're just like, all right, let's just backpedal. And, like, all the language that they've given us in all the lead-up to this is like, oh, like, you know, we're... We're we're going we're, we're going to do something that's all new and fresh, but honors the past and everything. So it's like so your way to honor the past is just by recycling the things that people like. You know, it's like it's it just feels super hollow and and like I said, tacky of just like let's capitalize on the things that already work and just try to modernize them. And it's like that's not interesting, right? And not to mention that you know. This, this, these images, they, they don't necessarily tell us a whole lot of anything about anything. And so for that reason, I don't see why I should care about this 
really at all. Uh, some of these do reveal things, like I said, but overall, it's just kind of a it's kind of a marketing ploy. And uh, yeah, so I know some of these from the past, but I wasn't alive in 1970. So those images from 1970 that they're referencing, a lot of them don't mean anything to me. So why why should I care about that? That's not that's not cool. In 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 2017, it, images that they did in 1970 are not relevant anymore. Some of these are super classic. A lot of them are not. And yeah, right. For every for every super iconic cover, there's a bunch that are like you've probably never seen before. Yeah. Who cares? And and then some of them are just like brain dead. Like they took the classic classic spider-man cover of green goblin dragging um, him dragging yeah dragging peter and they replaced it with a, a villain from the america comics that stars america chavez uh and her and and that villain exterminatrix uh dragging america what who, who cares it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make any sense it doesn't mean anything like no I, yeah, I'm just I'm not into it. Like I'm I'm glad that they refrained from just making it miles, but like <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I'm not into this. I it just like it feels very tone yeah. deaf. Uh, there was some news that did come of this. Uh, for example, the 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 Punisher uh, image is it appears to be that the Punisher is becoming War Machine, uh, and a lot of people are up in arms about that. Uh, yeah. What do you think about that? Um, so I think I saw I think I saw the bleeding cool article that you're referencing that said that they were going to be whitewashing War Machine and someone else too, right? Uh, I only recall War Machine. Okay, well I don't know. Um, I so I'm not, I'm not into this for a lot of reasons. You know, I I'm not a huge fan of Frank Castle in general. Um, I the only time I've really been a fan of the Punisher. Like, as a character was, uh, I, I liked John Bernthal's interpretation of him for the Daredevil Netflix show. Um, that was, like, the one time that I've actively been, like, into the Punisher. Otherwise, he's kind of just been a player in other things that I've enjoyed and, you know, oh, cool. Like, he he's the reason that Peter Parker died in the Ultimate Universe and, <laughs> you know, he was kind of a, annoying in Civil War and it's like, that's basically my relationship to that character, so... I'm not excited to see him replacing Rhodey, who is a character I actually like. Um, I I've always thought War Machine was a cool character, and I always liked the relationship he had to Iron Man and everything like that. So I, I don't like the idea of them giving Frank his mantle in the first place. I also totally understand the whole, like, whitewashing thing of just, like, War Machine is one of the few super, like, relevant and recognizable, like, black superheroes. So, like throwing not only a white guy but the punisher in the suit is just kind of like eh i'm not into that um per personally and also i'm not a huge fan of that as a thing you know I've, I've said on this show a lot where like i don't really like mantles to pass you know unless it's to somebody that makes sense and it doesn't make sense for frank castle to be war machine in anything other than like name you know and that like yeah frank castle's a war machine cool how fucking on the nose is that one <laughs> uh so my opinion is pretty different from yours uh i don't i don't i couldn't care any less about this 
in a negative or positive sense. I don't think that it's wrong. Uh, currently, uh, James Rhodes is dead. He died during um, Civil War II. So he's not replacing... And, and this is not directed towards you. This is directed towards reporters who are report, who are talking about this. Um, it's it's pretty disingenuous to say that he's replacing a dead person. He's dead, so it, it is what it is. Um, uh, so on that level, I don't care at all. Uh, it's not whitewashing, and when the reverse happens, no one cares. So I don't think that you can say in, on one hand, oh, it's totally fine that um, whatever, that Spider-Man be replaced by a black kid, but it's not fine for the mantle of War Machine to be replaced by a white person. Because War Machine, the costume, is that that's not that has no uh, race. It's just a suit. Anyone can put that on. Yeah, Tony's worn it before. Exactly. No, and when no one said anything when that happened, so I feel like this. We just live in a culture now where everyone's reactionary. Yeah, and that's fair. People are too riled up. Too riled up. This is comics. Let it be. Yeah, I um, think I think that's a totally fair point. It, yeah, they're not turning James Rhodes white. That would be a, that would be crazy. Right? Yeah, right. That um, would be but, whitewashing. <laughs> exactly. But this, that this is not that. So people need to calm down. Um, on the on the matter of it being very on the nose, like what you said, I think that's that's correct, and it's kind of funny to me. Um, and I don't care, you know, it'll be good or it won't. Honestly, like I don't see the reason for controversy. Yeah, ultimately, I definitely am with you where I don't care, but I I get why it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths, and like I'm super just like I'm biased because I just don't like the Punisher very much. So like, meh, you know? Yeah, yeah. sure. You know, hey, they're trying something different to sell Punisher comics. That's how I look at it. Yeah, right. And, like, I don't know. It, it'll be cool if it's, like, it, I don't know. It, it could be cool for Punisher fans, I guess. And, like, they they exist. There are a lot of edgelords that like the Punisher. <laughs> so. Hey, Greg Rucker wrote a pretty good Punisher comic. I'll have to check that out because yeah. I I definitely have an unfair bias against frank castle so there are some really good punisher comics but the problem is that when punisher is used outside of his main book he tends to be just what what the general public thinks of him as yeah but he's a very complex character yeah that's very yeah yeah it's like he i don't know it is like i think you're right that like a big part of my problem with him is more the culture around the punisher than it is the punisher himself like i think he is kind of lame when he's used poorly but like frank castle's whole story like is very tragic is very interesting and can be dynamic as evidenced by the fact that i liked him in daredevil but it's like i I don't know he's like fucking deadpool like levels of like meme you know of just like how many times i see people that i know don't read comics have a fucking Punisher skull on the back of their fucking pickup truck or some shit. You know, it's like, I live in New Jersey, so I see that shit a lot. And it's like, <laughs> I've known a lot of fucking, like, lame, trench coat wearing goth kids that wear Confederate flag hats and like the Punisher, but don't read fucking Punisher comics at all. You know, and it's just like, ugh, I'm just not into it. <laughs> like, Yeah, uh, man, I, I could talk forever about the Punisher, quite frankly, and, and like, the how... What you just said about people who revere the Punisher is 
it's so relevatory about our culture, and I think that that's part of what makes the Punisher so interesting. Um, but we'll move along because we do a Punisher this is episode. a Punisher episode. Yeah, I would I would love to. Um, so the other thing that came out of this that people are up in arms about is that uh, the Mighty Thor cover that was used, which um, was uh, drawn by Stephanie Hans, uh, it's it's a it's an homage to the Jim Starlin cover of the Death of Captain Marvel. So it shows Death holding uh, holding Jane Foster's Thor, and so it makes people believe that Thor's dying. Jane Foster's Thor's dying. Um, and people are very angry about that, which is pretty funny to me because if these people read comics, they would know that Jane Foster has cancer she's and been she's dying been dying for, three years. for years. Yeah, <laughs> this is not new. So if she dies, it's like, hey, someone with cancer died. Wow, shocking. Also, the reality of that is like she was so like that was not supposed to be an ongoing for three fucking years, dude. Right. You know, like she was supposed to have died. Like, in 2014, I remember reading the first issue, and it was about her having cancer and how being Thor was fucking killing her. Yes. So, the fact that she lasted this long is a fact that a testament to the fact that Marvel was speaking to the people that like her. Yeah. The whole point of it is that she would, she would be able to... Um, she would be able to live through the treatment if she stopped being Thor, but she doesn't want to, so she's gonna die. That's the storyline. Come on, you know, are you kidding me? Also, thought... go ahead. I was going to say, it shows that Marvel actually has some fucking scruples because that's one of their only successful books and they're right. going to kill her off. Yeah, because they're telling a story. You know, you thought, you really thought that she was going to stay Thor forever? That That's dumb. Yeah, like, that's so naive. Yeah, come on now. And like, also, they told us. They told yeah. us from the very beginning she was not going to be Thor forever because she has cancer and she's right. dying. And by the way, she's had cancer since before that. Like, it, that's not that's not new. She's had cancer, you know? Like, read a comic book, please. Um, uh, so, I just get riled up with, like, all this quote-unquote controversy surrounding things that people would just understand if they picked up a book, you know? And I just can't, I can't not get mad about that. No, I think that's totally legit, man. It's like, you have so many, like, I don't know, if, if half the people that got pissed off about comics on Twitter actually bought fucking comics, like, the industry would be in a lot healthier place. Yeah. Oh, please, forget it. It'd be booming. It'd be booming right now. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> it's just funny to me that, like, shit, like... Like, an article about Jane Foster not being Thor anymore will get probably ten times as many views as the actual comic will get readers. Yep. Horrible. Absolutely, absolutely horrible. Uh, support, support this stuff if you actually care about it. If you, if you care about Mighty Thor, go buy the book. Maybe they won't kill her then, um, because they won't want to risk the sales. Although they killed Wolverine, so I guess that's out the window. Uh, moving along, I've been pining for the return of the Fantastic Four to the comics, as have many longtime readers, and it looks like uh, Marvel intends to give us. Something fantastic, but not necessarily for. Uh, Axel Alonso <laughs> tweeted out an image of the thing with his Fantastic Four pants, except that the badge that typically has the number four has the number two. And his tweet says it takes two. 
What the hell does that mean? Uh, <laughs> Johnny Storm thing team up book, maybe. Yes, that's my yes. that's my guess. Yeah, that's that's probably what it means because Sue and Johnny, or I'm sorry, Sue and Reed are in space right now with their kids, and Fang and Johnny are the only ones still around. So that's probably what it means. And I, I, the reason why this bothers me is because Marvel has a tendency to give you half of what you want. You know, I want Jean Grey back, so they give me Jean Grey from the past. Uh, I want the Fantastic Four, so they give me half of them. You know, they give me Johnny and and Thing, the ones I care about the least. Um, Wait, really? Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a massive Reed Richards fan, and I love Sue Storm. I love Sue. I feel like I feel like most people feel the opposite way. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Reed's Reed's the dad I wish I had, and. Sue was, you know, Sue's the mom I wish I had, you know, what, yeah. whatever. Like, yeah, no, I, I love those characters. Yeah, I don't know. I've always, I've always gravitated more towards, uh, towards Ben as my favorite of the four. And then I'm, I biasly like Johnny because he's friends with Spider-Man. So like, I had a lot of exposure to him, you know? Sure. Uh, I just, you know, this, they, this whole thing with the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, you know, it, it's so blatantly obvious and they keep denying it. And it's like. Why are you telling us lies? You obviously don't want to give us a Fantastic Four because the the movie property is owned by another studio, and you're doing the same thing with the X Men. the um, The reveal of all those covers from Marvel Legacy, the the ones for the Inhumans are riffs on old X Men covers. Stop trying to make Inhumans happen. <laughs> I mean, make it happen, but make it happen separately from the X-Men. Let the X-Men live and let the Inhumans live separately. It's too you know? late, though. They've already, like, tried to signal the fans, oh, the Inhumans are the new X-Men. Like, that's what everyone, every non-comics reader has that impression of them now. Like, they I mean, need to... What? Every comics reader has that impression. That's because true. it's blatant. They need to fucking go away. Like, they need to go away for a while, and, and then they need to bring them back in a way that's earnest and true to the Inhumans and not trying to ape the X-Men because they don't have the rights to them. It's very, very frustrating. Uh, Is so there any good gonna... news this week, man? <laughs> mm, mm, yes. This next news piece, I'm actually really intrigued by what your thoughts will be uh, because we've got the Han Solo film that's coming, the the sort of... Um, the, the Star Wars story anthology series yeah. that they've been doing young continues... Young Han Solo, as it were. With, yeah, with a young Han Solo film. Uh, however, there's some big news about it because the directors, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, are out. Uh, they've been ousted by um, Lucasfilms. Uh, the press release, the official announcement, cites creative differences as the reason for this ousting. Um, they made it seem like a separation, which is good for Phil and, and Chris, but it's actually a firing. Um they were they were they were taken off this project. Yeah, they were let go. Right. Uh, so Phil Lord and Chris Miller directed uh, the Jump Street movies and the Lego movie, um, and those movies were huge successes. Right. Yeah, they're great. Uh, they're they're all exceptional films. Right. And so I guess the thinking was, hey, these guys can bring some of that charm to this Han Solo movie. However, reports indicate that not only were they making a film 
that doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie, uh, but they were going off script and allowing the actors or having the actors improv their scenes, um, and that there was a lot of back and forth, especially between Lawrence Kasdan, who's the co-writer of this film with his son, um, who has been involved in Star Wars since the beginning and has a very specific vision, along with Kathleen Kennedy, of what a Star Wars movie is. And it seems like these guys just didn't really get that or didn't want to provide that. And so they fired them and found Ron Howard, who is now going to finish up this movie. But the movie's already been shot. So he has to work through post-production to make a movie that he was closer to what Lucasfilm wants. So my question to you is twofold. One, uh, do you think that this movie can that this movie can be salvaged and become the film that Lucasfilm wants it to be? And two, do you think that uh, Lucasfilm is wrong to want to make very specific kinds of Star Wars movies and not allow directors to make what they want to make with the Star Wars property, considering, by the way, just as an addendum, that Rogue One also went through significant reshoots and ended up being generally held to be a very good movie that was a billion-dollar success. So what do you think? It's a lot to unpack. I'm concerned because I think coming into the project this late in the game and pulling them off and putting someone else at the helm is always a sticky situation. It's not necessarily going to be bad. I mean, we saw uh, it ended up working out for Ant-Man for the most part. But I don't know, man. I uh, To answer your, your question, I don't think that Lucasfilm is wrong for wanting Star Wars to feel a specific way. I think the the probably the biggest achievement of episode 7 was that it felt like a Star Wars movie. You know, it has plenty of problems in terms of its its plot and uh and its execution, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who would say that it didn't at least like feel like Star Wars. Um and I don't think they're wrong for wanting to preserve that. That being said, Rogue One didn't super feel like a Star Wars movie. Like, it had a lot of, like, the way it was shot was very different. It, you know, had a very different kind of tone, I think, than most Star Wars movies in in a lot of ways. And I don't think it was worse for that. I think it made it unique and it made it fresh and it kind of gave me the impression that, okay, so the main Star Wars movies, like 7, 8, 9, these will be Star Wars movies as we know them. They'll feel like Star Wars movies. They'll be pulp adventures. Yeah, they'll be dark moments, but it's about heroes and triumphing and all that stuff. And maybe these anthology movies or these side movies will, will all have a different taste to them or a different flavor. And I don't I don't know that that's a bad thing. Um, I mean, you still want it to feel like Star Wars, but... Personally, part of the reason I was so excited about this movie was I thought the directorial talent was well-suited for it. You know, I was like, okay, they did 21 Jump Street, you know, and Lego Movie. Those movies are both very funny. And I was thinking, are we going to, you know, maybe we get like a Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, and, um, and Chewbacca, like, buddy movie? Like, that sounds fun. You know, like, that sounds like a good, appropriate way to treat this young Han Solo film. Uh, so I like Ron Howard as well. He's a very talented director. Uh, you know, I don't have any 
I don't have any like doubt that he'll be able to do the best he can with what he's got. But if the movie's already shot and they have all this stuff that they don't like that was off script or off tone, I don't know how he puts those square pegs in those round holes now without doing significant reshoots or, you know, or maybe they, maybe they just have a ton of shots that they can work with. They were doing improv and maybe he can, you know, he can do that. But I don't know. I guess my main takeaway here is I don't think that Lucas is wrong for wanting Lucasfilm is wrong for wanting to have a singular vision, but I think they're wrong for not picking directors from the beginning that fit into that vision. You know, if, if these guys weren't a good fit, they should have figured that out a long time ago. And I think my concern is that it's this late in the game. And what does Ron Howard really have to work with to give them the vision that they want? And is this going to be a movie that feels like it's made by committee or is enough of that original vision going to come through or is Ron Howard going to be able to craft an original vision that works? Yeah. Uh, I think, I think this is a, a complex issue on some level because when it, when it comes down to it, I believe that movies by committee are fine. Uh, the Marvel cinematic universe, all of those movies essentially are made by committee. Nothing happens in those movies that isn't, okayed by the Marvel brass and Kevin Feige and they know where they want to take that universe and they're not going to allow anything to happen that interferes with what they're trying to do for better or worse I think Avengers Age of Ultron is a film that people cite as being worse off for that but you for every one of those you also have Captain America Civil War so there's that and Lucasfilm has a track record of success that spans in most people's minds, every single movie that they've made, except the prequels. So and Indiana Jones four. I, uh, I'm referring. To, I'm sorry. I'm referring to the Star Wars movies. Okay. Okay. Um, I should have specified, but but yeah. So they know what they're doing, and Star Wars is their precious baby, and because they have a, a vision for what Star Wars should be and they've worked to make sure that that vision is carried out they've created something that's popular and it's popular for a reason and I think that it wouldn't make sense necessarily to steer to to, to veer away from that for any real reason there's no reason to not continue to do what works and so with this Han Solo film uh one of the things that I read that really stuck with me is that they were trying to make Han Solo into a comedy character. And anyone who knows these movies knows that he's not. He's funny, but he's funny unintentionally. He gets into funny situations. Yeah. He, he, he reacts funny in funny ways to things, but they're funny to us. Yeah, right. He's like a sarcastic, kind of sardonic character, and we get humor from that. Not that he's like cracking jokes all the time. Right, exactly. And it sounds like they were trying to make this more of a movie like that where he's a comedian. And that's not what I want to see. That's not Han Solo. No. So it sounds like they had a fundamental misunderstanding of the character that for sure was not in the script. And so if that's the case, that means that when they sat down to finally direct this thing, they veered off course. And I can understand Lawrence Kasdan going, wait a second, that's not what I wrote. That's not what my son and I wrote. That's yeah. a big problem. Yeah, but that's also like that is that's Lucas's fault. And I'm saying Lucas, I mean Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah. That's their fault because like 
I'm saying this at at the listener, not you. But if you know anything about the way that movies are made, is the screenplay you write is is nine nine point nine times out of ten is not the film that gets shot. You know, unless you have a director that also wrote the script, most of the time a script gets reinterpreted by its directors, by its actors, things change. And like that's what happens. So that's Lucas's fault for picking these guys. Like wh- like if they didn't want a comedy movie, why did they pick people whose only experience and success is our comedies? Because I think that they wanted a movie with a lot of comedic elements, but that wasn't a comedy movie. Uh, and I that th- you're right. You're right. Like there are a lot of like for example, uh just just a random movie that I really enjoy. Beverly Hills Cop. That's not a comedy movie. That's an action movie that's very funny. And in that movie, uh Eddie Murphy's character is treated as he's a funny person, but he more more than that, he gets into funny situations and he handles things in a funny way. But he's crafty, he's intelligent, he's slick. Those are the things that they wanted, I would imagine, for Han Solo because that's the character. And so I think that um, – and, and also to your point about uh, movies, sort of the script not being what, what, what tends to get shot, that might be true, but Lucasfilm isn't that way. They're very particular, like, we wrote this, this is what it is. And it's it's impossible for us to say what was communicated to the directors. And so who knows, right? And I, I don't think that there's really – I think it's too hard to blame anyone because we're too far removed from the situation. But if they got fired, something tells me that Lucasfilm would rather not fire the directors. Sure, right? sure. So yeah. this is probably something that's been ongoing. And if they knew that it wasn't going to work from the beginning, they would have they fired them way earlier. Yeah. And they were probably honestly, they were probably just still trying to make the movie they wanted to make and seeing if they could get away with it. Yeah, you know, is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and I don't blame them for that. Honestly, like they were given the job, so they should try to make the movie they want to make. And if that's not the movie Lucas wants to put out, then yeah, they did what they had to do. I think it's just like it's a little weird to me again to pick to pick these guys, right? This team where their their two big successes are Twenty One Drum Street. Which is a comedy that imp- that relies heavily on improvisation, and then Lego Movie, which was a movie that they had one hundred and ten percent creative control on, and were the the voices behind it. That I don't know why they picked them, and then expected that they were going to give them something within the 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 confines that they wanted. You know, it it seems like a bad choice, and not I thought that they were a good choice. But in terms of the conflict that's arisen here, I'm not surprised by that at all. You know, based on what very little I know about these two guys as creators, you know, is like, it seems like they were just doing what they do. And then Lucas was surprised by that, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, uh, I get wanting to pick these guys who have these big successes to their name, but you should match the directors with the project and not expect that they're going to give you the parts of their projects that you like without any of the thing that is their voice, you know? Yeah, uh, and I, I I suspect that a lot of this probably could have been hashed out in the meetings before uh, contracts were signed. They probably rushed. You know, they probably were like, we got to get this movie out. You know, we have a, a strict deadline, and they probably were like, these are the guys, let's do it. 
Yeah, well, uh, now we're going to get a film that I I still have faith in. Ron Howard is is amazing, super super talented, and the cast is and good. That's what's the cast a, is like, good. The crew it's got is all good. The, it's got all the uh, ingredients to be good. So I I'm still hopeful that it'll come out on top. I think Ron Howard Ron Howard's a good choice to come in and try to clean it up. I think he's got a lot of experience, and I, I think he'll be able to give us something that's serviceable at the very least. Yeah. Uh, so that's just a huge, huge development this week, and um, now I'm even—I wasn't excited for this movie at all, and now I'm really curious as to what it's going to look like. So I'll be buying my ticket when it releases. Yeah, yeah, I've been cautiously optimistic about it, and uh, I'm still there. <laughs> We're not done. There's, there's, there's another major piece of news. It's been a big week. Yeah, a huge, huge, huge week. So, according to Variety. Uh, HBO is looking to make a Watchmen HBO series. It's like, what? Like that thing that I asked for a couple weeks ago? <laughs> that's that's incredible. Yeah, this is cool. This is really interesting. And and so they've wanted to do this uh, for quite some time. Uh, initially, two years ago, they wanted to make a Watchmen uh, television show with Zack Snyder, but that fell through. Thank so God. now they're looking at Damon Lindelof, who uh, put together The Leftovers for them, uh, and who also uh, created Lost for ABC, the, the hit, which I was, I'm was i a huge Lost fan. Um, so they're looking to put this together. Now, the question, of course, is, well, hey, well, there's not enough material to make a Watchmen television show. Yes, there but, is. Right. But between, <laughs> between before Watchmen... Um, before Watchmen alone crafts enough material for a television show, and then when you include the actual events of the Watchmen uh, comic book, uh, there's no question in my mind that you could get a few seasons out of this. Well, I also don't think it needs to be a few seasons. You know, like it could it could easily be a like HBO does miniseries. You know, that's not a thing that they've that's unheard of for them. You know, like it could easily be like a ten episode thing, just one each issue. You know, like even or oh, it's a twelve issues is the original, right? I think. Uh, 12. 12, twelve. Yeah. I I would be I would be shocked if HBO wanted to make a show about Watchmen and didn't want it to be long form, because the the amount of viewership that a show like this will pull in is crazy, and they would be crazy to not, quite frankly, milk it. You know, uh, so. I so I agree with you, but knowing HBO like and and just how they seem to handle business, I wouldn't be surprised if they showed restraint and were like, yeah, like one season, twelve episodes, and it's going to be really good, and you're going to like it. And like, I think two seasons is totally doable. I, I hope that they wouldn't try to make it like a seven season thing, like Game of Thrones. Is my one concern. You know, it's like that's the one thing I don't want from this is them to artificially extend it because it's good or because they want to, like, as you said, milk it. Um, but otherwise, I'm super hype on this. I mean, I say this every time we talk about a comic book property and it coming to an adaption is I would much rather see HBO's Watchmen than a Watchmen movie or or anything for that. matter. Yeah, uh, I I'm a huge, huge, huge HBO fan. I have the utmost faith in what they do, and I think that there's a way to make this that you can go, you know, three or four seasons 
and make something really good. And I think that I the agree. fact that they picked Damon Lindelof is pretty telling because the leftovers ended at three seasons. And my understanding is that that was a deliberate choice. Cool. Uh, so good. he's got that mentality. Now, of course, you look at Lost, and Lost went on forever. Yeah. But that was because of ABC, yeah. not what Damon had in mind. Yeah, that was network television. He has no fucking control over that. Plus, that show that show had a bunch of problems that were not related to him or his production. You know, where like they had a lot of behind the scenes, just stuff going wrong that was like kind of out of his control. Yeah. So um, that being said, uh, Damon Lindelof, I have a love hate relationship with because some of the things that went wrong with Lost, I do blame him for. Um, Prometheus, I really enjoy. He wrote the film. I really enjoy it. Uh, but it it does what Lost did, which is just not answer questions. Yeah. Uh, and then Star Trek Into Darkness, which I thought fell apart completely. And sure. he wrote that. So that being said, though, for whatever reason, I mean, we've established on this show that I'm a sucker. I still feel like this has the potential to be great, and that he has the potential to be great on this. I mean, this is so much easier, though, because, like, it's a story with a beginning and the end. Like, he can't not answer questions because we already know the answers to those questions. All he has to do is adapt it well. I think he can do that. Yeah. I mean, I have faith. Uh, I have faith in HBO. I don't think HBO makes many mistakes. And um... Yeah, do you look at their track record, and it's like... It's, like, nearly perfect. Like, you can count the number of HBO shows that are, like, objectively bad on, like, one hand. You know, whether or not they're all for you is a different story. But in terms of just quality, like, production value, like, I think we're okay. I believe two of the be- two of the three greatest shows ever are HBO productions. I believe that The Wire and, S- and Sopranos are two of the greatest shows of all time. And it came from HBO. And That's I think true. that a Watchmen television series could be in the upper echelon of things that they've done. Also, like, regardless of your feelings about it, like, Game of fucking Thrones, you know? Like, they did Game of Thrones. Like, they adapted something that people were convinced was unadaptable in a way that has been satisfying to most people that have experienced the originals and to millions and millions of other people around the world. So, I, I honestly, I think this is way easier to adapt than Game of Thrones, frankly. I mean, Ga- Game of Thrones, the books, the song and Song of Fire and Ice is still going, so that is immediately true, right? Yeah, um, right. Like they're adapting something that they don't know the ending of, whereas Watchmen is over. Uh, so I totally agree. And Game of Thrones is a is an insane hit. So and it's so huge. It's just such a huge world, and like there's so much effort that went into lovingly recreating that. That like I really think that we'll see a good a good treatment of Watchmen here that will get something that is that nails the visual aesthetic something that feels right you know yeah absolutely I'm, I'm, I'm real positive about this like, something to be super excited for yeah, yeah absolutely so we've talked a lot about Marvel and uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't do a little talk about DC just to keep things fair and balanced around these parts uh, and quite frankly the DC stuff that we have to talk about is good so there's that. Um, DC not disappointing us too much in the film world. Uh, so recently, uh, there was a lot of talk. There was so much talk on the part of DC um, and the executives that are working there, uh, including Jeff Johns 
and uh, Patty Jenkins and John Berg. Um, and they talked about some of the things that they've learned from their successes and failures of late. So in an interview with Variety, uh, the two sort of tentpole figures of the DC Universe, those being John Berg and uh, uh, Jeff Johns, talked about the lessons they've learned uh, from their previous films. So Berg said, and I quote, There are lessons from every movie. You would be silly not to analyze how a movie was received, what went right and what went wrong on the making of a movie. On Suicide Squad, the movie did incredibly well commercially. It didn't work narratively. You had some great casting and some great characterizations, but where the story fell down was on narrative, on plot. We could do better. Batman v Superman was tonally dark. People didn't respond to that. So it sounds like he's got the right idea. Um, and But Jeff Johns sort of had more to say. Uh, he worked a lot on the script for Wonder Woman, and a lot of people don't know this because he went uncredited, but he worked a lot on it. Uh, and actually, he's currently working with Patty Jenkins on the sequel and is writing it alongside her as we speak. Uh, but he had this to say in regard to the DCU and why Wonder Woman worked. Uh, so he said the following. Wonder Woman celebrated exactly who the character is, but looking at it, it's not like we should change everything to be about hope and optimism. There's nothing to change. That's what these characters are. So... That's a very interesting quote can you, from can Jeff Can you just Jones. read that one more time? Sure. Uh, Wonder Woman celebrated exactly who the character is, but looking at it, it's not like we should change everything to be about hope and optimism. There's nothing to change. That's what these characters are. Hmm. What are you thinking? I'm not sure what he means by that. So what I interpret this to mean, because this is in the context of a conversation about lessons learned and what they're looking to do going forward, I think what he's saying is that sticking to the core of what the characters are and not trying to have any any overarching um, mandate about being hopeful or optimistic or being dark and gritty, sure. that there's no need for that, that you just stick to who the character is and that Wonder Woman worked because she is about hope and optimism. Yes. Okay. And and that that might not necessarily work for Batman. So that's that's all well and good in regards to Batman, but what about Superman? Because he like I'm concerned by the whole he's like there's nothing to change. Well, it's like we need to change how you're interpreting Superman because it's bad. Well, I think I think what he's saying is there's nothing to change in terms of their vision. And like now the keep broader in DCEU Right, like not the not the characterizations as we've seen them, but the vision. So Jeff Johns is only recently jumping into the fray. And what was the first movie he actually had any like any involvement in? Right? My understanding is that that's the case. Okay. So his perspective is going forward. My involvement, our vision now is stick to the characters, stick to their roots. And so I think a Superman movie that came out under him would look different than Man of Steel did. I hope so, because I know uh, Phil said this, I think he said it during one of the episodes, but I know he said it to me while we were in the theater watching Wonder Woman, which was after the No Man's Land scene of just being like, man, why like, why didn't Man of Steel feel like this? You know? Right. And I, I mean, that's... That sounds like the right approach to me, is to not say the DCEU is grounded and dark and gritty, or it's like, you know, like, 
I, I much prefer the idea of them treating it on a character-by-character basis, you know? Yeah. I don't want the DCEU to be anything specific, you know? The same way I really don't want the Marvel Cinematic Universe to be anything specific. I want it to be totally based around the character that we're talking about in the moment yeah. because that's what it is, you know? Um, you can't you can't treat Batman the same way you treat Superman. Right. And we saw that in Batman versus Superman. That that doesn't work. They're not the same and you can't approach them the same way. And they did. No. Yeah, they they tried to make them both identical characters and my biggest criticism of that movie in particular as well is that it is basically just a really really it's just a poor copying of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns if you remove the actual internal conflict. You know, it's yeah. like the like if you make if you make Batman and Superman both Batman but it's Dark Knight Returns, you right. know? Because, like, oh, cause Superman can't be the bad guy because we're supposed to like him, too. So it's like, so don't do that story. You know, it's like they, they need to be more thoughtful about what they're doing. We can't – we don't need a movie called Batman v Superman just because you want to do a scene where Batman and Superman fight. You know, like, that doesn't make sense. And – Again, to Jeff's point, like, what worked about Wonder Woman was that it was a movie that was true to Wonder Woman. You know, it was that you look at... And, you know, like, I don't know that I would have that perspective on it if we hadn't done that really deep dive where we read Wonder Woman comics for, like, a fucking month. But, like, as someone who feels that, that he now has a good understanding of who Wonder Woman is and what she is supposed to represent, this movie did a great job of conveying that to people that don't... haven't read those comics, you know? Like me up until then and I, I thought that it was a great reading of that character and not a, in, a reinterpretation or a deconstruction or anything like that and it's just like if we get these movies where each tone is matched to the character that's what we that's the ideal scenario in my mind you know Batman movies can be dark and gritty Superman and Wonder Woman movies should be about hope and be uplifting and, and all that stuff totally agree uh, and I think you know we talked about, or I've talked about, how it was too early to do Civil War because Captain America and Iron Man's uh, relationship hadn't yet grown to the point where a scenario like that was earned. Yeah. Well, uh, Batman and Superman had no relationship right. when that movie came out. So, you know, I feel like that doubly about that film. And I think that you're right. They need to be more cautious. They need to be more thoughtful. And I think that based on what we have seen, Based on what the rumors say is coming down the pipe for them, that they've got their they've got their stuff together a little more than they did a year two years ago. I mean, definitely. Like that's not even up for debate in my mind. You know, it's like whether or not Wonder Woman is a fluke in terms of like I have confidence Wonder Woman two will be good. Right? It's Patty Jenkins and Jeff Johns, so probably going to be fine. Um, and, like, frankly, like, I love Gal Gadot now. You know, it's like that movie, like, I I am, have such a crush on her now. You know, it's like she's a fucking movie star, and I'm totally down to see the three of them make another Wonder Woman movie. Whether any of these other movies are good is up for debate, but, like, they're bringing in new talent. They're getting rid of the people that I, or at least starting to make the people that I think are bad for the DCEU less relevant. And... They're shifting their priorities in a way that seemed to make sense, you know, and instead of being like, we need to make a Justice League movie and every one of the Justice League characters needs their own movie afterwards. It's like, okay, maybe they don't, 
and you know like we're gonna move forward with movies that actually have somebody behind them you know like the background movie like we don't need that movie in their broader plan but like if you have Joss Whedon and Joss Whedon wants to make a background movie okay we'll go make that movie that probably makes sense you know that's a movie that'll probably be actually good because it's being made because someone wants to make it not because you want to sell it right absolutely so hopefully um, DC has learned their lessons and we can start to have the same feeling about them that we do with Marvel where when their movies come out, we think to ourselves, hey, it could be good. Hopefully, man. I mean, if anything, like if they actually stick to this vision, right, of like everything's going to have its own tone, but it's all going to be set in the same universe, that might ultimately end up being better than Marvel's thing of like – because I, I personally – I think that the homogenization of the Marvel style is overblown. You know, I, I like I think Civil War like was decidedly not the same as all the other jokey upbeat Marvel movies. Like it may end in a way that kind of points back to a status quo like that, which is unfortunate, but the film itself isn't like that. And as much as everybody likes to say that they're separate, the Marvel Netflix shows are not like that. And I would like to see these companies have more, I, I don't want to say like scruples or whatever, but just more like bravery there to be willing to take those risks and trust that we as as fans or we as an audience are going to be okay with, with things having a different tone and that they don't need to all feel the same for us to get that they're in the same universe. Yeah, I think... Um... I think especially with Marvel, it was really just an introductory thing, you know? Yeah. And uh, now they're they're more willing to do uh, some different things. And quite frankly, if you look at a lot of their characters, uh, there are some some glaring similarities between them, you know? Uh, but, but on film, they've definitely treated Captain America uh, way different than Iron Man, right? Yeah. Uh, and they, they're not, and you know, Black Widow's different. Like they're different characters, you know. And I think that you're right. That stuff is overblown in a lot of senses. And um, I just want to see DC make the decision that all right. And it seems like they have. We're going to we're going to adhere to who these characters are at their core on screen. We may not be riffing off the comics with like they tried to with Batman Superman. But we are going to tell stories that feel like they could be in the comics because they are about these characters that come from that place. I'm like, honestly, like, I know you probably disagree with me on this one because I know that you're always like of that kind of you come from that position of like you want the movies to be good adaptions. You know, like you want to see the things that you the stories that you like played out on that big screen in this other medium. But I also think that could be cool. Like, I like especially because Jeff Johns is the one at the helm now. Is like, I would love Jeff Johns to be able to tell new stories about these characters that are specific to the movies, you know, and, and take the the core of the character, which is what I think is important, and, and do something new. Like, that could be really great. Oh, well, I mean, my favorite movies from the... You know, all these all this superhero stuff don't really have anything to do with the comics. Right. Uh, so, like, even though that's what I want, it's not what I get. And I don't really care because if the movie is good, it's good. If the reader knew what problem. he wanted, he wouldn't be the reader. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a problem with stuff like Fox not wanting the X-Men movies to be X-Men movies. That's yeah. what I have a problem yeah, with. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. But... 
Captain America Winter Soldier not being the same thing as the storyline in which the Winter Soldier originated doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, or Civil War not being Civil War. Well, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so we are going to wrap up the show here. Uh, We do not have a main topic. We're not doing a main topic because... Pete and I is kind of a different thing than usual. Uh, We talked a ton about the news. But I did want to end on optimism because, uh, like the DC Universe, we are learning lessons. And we, ourselves, (laughs) are trying to... uh, We're trying to be hopeful and we're trying to be optimistic because we've heard you guys. And you don't like negativity. And you don't want darkness. You want the Wonder Woman of the comics pals not the batman superman of the comics pals <laughs> so the first half of this show all right it was batman superman-y but this portion of it we're in our wonder woman shoes now and uh <laughs> we're, we're we're really happy to have done this pete it was a pleasure oh yeah uh, i thought this was a fun episode i hope i hope the listeners agree lots of fun uh We'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week on the Comics Pals. Um, And uh, again, I hope you enjoyed it. So before we jump out of here, we do have to do some plugs. Uh, If you want to find us, you can hit us up on iTunes. If you're listening to us there on iTunes, we appreciate you. Thank you. Leave us a rating. We really appreciate that. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about the dynamic duo of Pete and Sean. Do you like it? Uh, do Do you miss Phil? Probably not. Um, SoundCloud, you reach us, reach out to us on there. Listen to the show there. Um, social media, you can find us wherever social media is sold. We are at the Comics Pals. Let us know your thoughts about this episode. Uh, Gmail, you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com, uh, where we will answer any and all of your questions or do your buy or sells or your random questions or whatever you got. And be sure to send those pals pulls into us at, on social media as well. Uh, hashtag and, pals pulls. Yes, hashtag pals pulls. Uh, and last but not least, YouTube. You can find us on YouTube. If you're listening to us on YouTube, be sure to like, leave a comment, subscribe to the channel. Uh, if you've never checked out our YouTube before, I really strongly recommend that you do so. There's a lot of good content on there that is exclusive to YouTube, like our interviews that we did at Wizard World Philadelphia, and there's more on the way. So if you are a fan of what we do, you definitely want to jump on the YouTube hype train now because we're going to be pushing out a lot of content there. Yeah, we're going to have uh, uh, the rest of our Wizard World interviews should hopefully go up this week. I think me and Marco, between the two of us, I think we'll have all of them done by the end of the week. So keep an eye out for those. we got some good ones coming. Yep. So let's do plugs. Pete, hit it. Cool. Um, all right. So, yeah, thanks again for joining us on this episode of The Comics Pals. Uh, if you want, guys want to get some more content from me, uh, you can go check out my writing over on CBR.com uh, where I've got same two articles I've been plugging the last couple of weeks about Wonder Woman. I've been busy. Um, so if you want to go check out my writing and help me pay the bills, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, I have two. One, it's a Wonder Woman review and then one about uh, 15 times Wonder Woman killed in the comics. So you can go check those out. And uh, then if you want to check out more from us here at the Comics Pals, you can check out me and Sean tomorrow over on the Video Game Pals. Uh, wherever And wherever platform you're watching, we're up the next day on Video Game Pals. So you can go check that out tomorrow. And uh, I don't know what we're talking about yet, but hopefully it's a good episode. <laughs> and then uh, if you want to uh, catch me on social media, you can find me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, come talk to me about you know video games, comics, whatever. Life, love, the pursuit of happiness. 
<laughs> uh, and then real quick, if you want to grab the guys, you can check out Kale's Comics on uh, Panels Publishing. I think it's panelspublishing.com. They've also got some stuff on Comixology. Uh, you can get issue one of his book in uh, From the Deep, um, which is like a kaiju story. It's, pr- it's good. Go check it out. And then uh, you can get him at Toto in Toe on social media. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. And then uh, Phil is at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. You can get Marco at Woe is Marco and Woe is Marco underscore on Twitter. Yes. Uh, so that's that's everybody. Cool. And I am at Sean Soapbox on Twitter. Uh, hit me up to talk about hopeful and optimistic things only. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, and with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. <laughs>